welcome everybody to another episode of Equals. My name's Nabil. My name's Max. And we're here from a beautiful day in Nairobi. Max, let's start with your week. How, how was your week? Well, um, well, Nabil, the, the big news in our house is uh, we've got a dog. You've got a dog? Congratulations. Yeah. What kind of dog is it? Well, he's a mongrel, black and white. He's got attachment issues. Um, he's very affectionate. And what have you called him? Ah, yeah. So his name's, his name's Marks. M- Marks. Like Karl Marx? Yeah, 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 like Karl Marx. Yeah. And that's the name you gave him? No, no, uh, uh, honest, uh, when we got him, he was already called Marx. So you're expecting me to believe that you got a dog called Marx? Not only that, I mean, as soon as I heard his name, I knew he was a dog for me. So what about you then? This week I'm actually, you know, remembering a year ago my, my brush with the justice system here when I got thrown into prison actually for, uh, for a little while. Oh yeah, you're you're big time in prison. I remember. I mean, how many hours have we got? Not enough, Nabil. No, 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 never enough. But look, it wasn't it wasn't meant to happen. It was an experience, and uh, and something that taught me a lot about the justice system, actually. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. So today's episode, Max. Who are we going to be speaking to? Oh, today we've got an amazing interview. Um, we're going to be talking to Beth, and she's a, an activist for, uh, from here in Kenya, fighting injustice, fighting sexism, and. Um, and, uh, yeah, she comes from Nandora, which is one of the, the poorest parts of the city. There's these incredible pictures of Nairobi that I've seen that take a bird's eye view from some drone. And on one side of the road, you've got these really affluent areas with lots and lots of green land. And on the other side, you've got just stacks of houses upon houses upon houses of, of people living there. Exactly. I mean, the inequality here is really in your face. And... Um, Dandora is one of the biggest slums in, in Nairobi and it's famous because that's where the city's rubbish dump is so all the rubbish from all the rich houses all around the city gets dumped in the middle of Dandora and most people make their money going through that rubbish and, and, and trying to sort it out, recycle it and it's disgusting, dirty work and it's, it's yes, it's, it's really, really great. And how did you meet Beth? Oh, well, she's an activist and, and I've been involved with the Fight Inequality Alliance here in Kenya and uh, she works for the Dandora Justice Centre, which she talks about in the interview and uh, she fights for people's rights. So I met her through that and she's truly inspiring. Let's hear from Beth. And thank you for taking the time to talk with us. Thank you, Rini, for the invite. Mm-hmm. Beth, I want you to first tell me a little bit about you. Okay, my name is Beth Mukamuanjiko. Mm. I'm 29 years old. Mm. A mother of two. Mother of two. A boy and a girl. Mm-hmm. 12 years and 9 years. Mm. Uh, I'm a widower. Mm-hmm. And a, hu- a human rights activist. Mm. I am born in and raised in Dandora, mm. Nairobi, Kenya. Mm. Uh, my journey started when I was born. Uh, when I was three years, four years, I was kidnapped by cartels because my mom was very vocal against inequalities because this land that was upgraded, upgraded these cartels wanted to take that land and sell, but my mom was fighting for the rights of the poor so that they can get their portion. They were very much unpleased, so they opted to kidnap me. So when my mom was looking for me, 
they take the land. But that did not happen. My mom went to the biggest office, police sector, and these people were, were, were called and the whole process was stopped until I was found. So I was lost for three months and 26 days. How many? Three months and 26 days. So that is where my journey has been of inequality since when I was young. And you were four years old. I was four years old. Do you have any memories of that? I do. I do have memories Mm -hmm. because I remember uh, I was taken to Thika Road. That is a highway called Thika Road where I was left there to be to be accidentally knocked down by a car. But fortunately, uh, the people from the NYS found me and they saved me. Yeah. Afterward, I was taken to a woman who was an elder at Madare. And there is where I met this old lady who was very loving. Children used to disappear and uh, when they get lost, they were taken there and their parents used to come and take them. But mine didn't come. So I kept on wondering what what was happening until one day uh, a colleague of my mom came uh, to look for some money from that woman and she found me. And she went and informed my mom and they came and picked me. My journey in one, one way or another has educated me a lot on what needs to be done the gaps that are there. Mm. Uh, when I was in Form 3, that was in 16, 16 years, 17 years. You were studying in, in uh, Dandora? Uh, I was studying in Dandora Primary School, mm. where I finished in 2004. Then I was called in a school called Motidi Secondary School in Embu, Kirinyaga. Uh, when I went there, when I, one day I came for a midterm, and when I came for a midterm, that was this movement called Mungiki Movement, a sect that was there. And this sect was supposed to be young people from Kikuyu land, young women from Kikuyu land were targets. They were forced to be in this movement. So when I came back for midterm, I was kidnapped. The young man, he locked me in his house and he raped me for two weeks. And this movement was, this sect was untouchable. You could not even mention their names. So we didn't report, so I went home. Afterward, they released me and I went home. Only two months from then to find that I was pregnant when I was in Form 3. So it was a big challenge. This sect... The minute you indulge sexually with one of their members, you become automatically their wives, mm-hmm. immediately. So when I came back and they said I was pregnant, I was forced to be married by this young person. Did he come home to your parents to marry He did. He did came, come and introduce himself. Mm-hmm. And because my mom is from Kikuyu, and this sect was very rampant and very violent, we had to keep quiet and swallow everything and to agree so that because of or because of our lives, yeah, for the sake of our lives, because we were threatened differently. Now I have to drop out of school to come and bring up a kid. 
I remember when were you still living with your parents? At I that was time? still living in my, with my parents, mm-hmm. and I refused to go and live with those people because I remember when we were you get into that sect, you had to be circumcised as a girl. So Mia was very much against that. So I opted to stay with my mom. It's okay, you can come and visit, but I, uh, you, I, I'm still yours, but at my mom's place. Okay. And uh, along the way, I remember telling my mom I want to go back to school. The former school could not accommodate me because I was pregnant. So we looked for a day school in Dandora where I can be accommodated, and I went back to school. Good for you. And this time, I was paying you I, My mom, I really love my mom because she believed in me. I went back to school. I was, was stigmatized. She with your that time? No, my mom is a single mother. She was a single mother. Yes. Mm-hmm. I was stigmatized because people knew that I was pregnant. They didn't want to play with me. They didn't want to talk with me. They didn't want anything. But I was focused. I really wanted this certificate. I really want to get the best education I could. This is the situation. So what is the way forward? I have to. I have to be resilient. I had to to take all that in. And I, com- I finished my form four. I gave birth. I was breastfeeding. At the same time, I was going to school. So afterwards, I, uh, I, uh, I did my final exam. And I went back home. I didn't give up. The same guy did not give up on me. He kept on coming. Not because we were used to each other. Now, there were good terms. I used to go to his place. He used to come to my place. And I, I remember one day when I was at his place, he told me, Beth, you know I love you. There are people who are coming for you because you're not circumstance. They are coming to take you and to circumcise you so that you can be in this sect officially. I walked out and the first thing I saw, it was on the stage. I just saw a bus. I went and escaped and went back home. It is a Kikuyu tradition to circumcise girls. It was a Kikuyu tradition. So your mother was against it? My mom was circumcised. She didn't want want me to be circumcised Mm. because it has a lot of challenges. Mm. Mm. It has a lot of challenges along the way. She understood it from her angle and her experience. So she didn't want to subject her her daughters into this. So that is how I started going for work and everything only to find out that I was again pregnant with my second kid. It's called Emmanuel. And... I gave birth, but three months after I gave birth, their father disappeared. I went to the mortuaries. I went to police stations. I didn't see him. I went everywhere to look for him. I didn't see him. But I remember one day, I talked to a police officer and he told me, do this. Go to a certain place and look if you can find his body there. I went there, and what I saw there, it, they were afterwards. It was nightmares. Is it a mortuary? It was not a mortuary. It is a forest in this country. Did you find his body? I didn't. 
I looked and I didn't find it. And there were a lot of insects. That place was very much smelly. Okay. Up to date, I remember that environment. So you never found him? I've never found him. Nine years down the line, I've never found his body. Mm. No buried him. Sometimes it has really challenged my life. Because... I'm left torn in between, will he come back one day? Because when my kids ask me where their father is, what can I tell them? I don't want to put bad notions in their mind that the police are bad, because not all police are bad. But it was a squad that was put aside to fight that sect. But you don't know who... Do you know how he was killed and who killed him? Today I know. You found out? I found out. Mm. He was picked from fig tree, Ngara, at Ngara, with, a, by, with a, a personal car. And he was put on the boot of the car. Never to be seen. Afterwards, a lot of people disappeared. A lot of young people were shot and are still being shot by police officers. And I decided to become the voice of the voiceless. Because women are left very young, widows in this country. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So let's fast forward now. When that happened and uh, he was gone and you had your children, you were still living with your mother, how have you survived up to now? Thank you for that question because it's through God's grace. Uh, currently, I'm an activist and a human rights defender. And through uh, organizing and doing all this community work, I've met a lot of well-wishers in my life who have been a strong pillar in my life, who have believed in what I'm doing to the community. And uh, when I went, I had to go back to school uh, to go and get a tertiary education. Because after the death of my husband, my mom could no longer take care of us because of financial issues. So I became a sex worker mm-hmm. and a stripper. In Dandora? No, in Nairobi. Mm-hmm. And I remember I, I, I did sex work for like three years. Tell me about the work, the sex work, what it was like, your experience in the sex work. The sex work was a, was a very difficult kind of job because you'll find that uh, you will meet different type of clients. And these clients sometimes, some of them were, will be violent. Some of them will ask, uh, act strangely. You cannot understand them. Some of them just need advices. Yeah? They just need guidance. And... Uh, once you, you will indulge sexually with multiple partners, when you start self-reflecting about your life, you feel dirty. You feel unwanted. So I decided, no, I want to change my name. And I went back and I went to the National Health Service where I went through paramilitary training. I did nation building and then I went to, my, to the class where I did the class of engineering on the sector of plant operator. 
I got several jobs. Good, good. And when I got uh, this job, because you know me, I'm 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 beautiful and uh, I'm shapey, yeah. <laughs> so I'll I'll describe myself that way. Mm. So I will go and put on, you know, there is safety clothing. Beautiful and shapey. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm an African woman. Yeah. <laughs> I will go and wear uh, the safety clothes to enter into a, a machine. Yeah? Job, yeah. But we'll find out that I will work only for maybe three months. Mm. Afterwards, because it is a man's world. Yeah, I will. I'll do that job, and then you will find out that the supervisor is calling me when I was. I'm working. I'll go and find out. Here I am, sir. How can I help you? Or I'll panic. What have I done wrong? So when I go there, he will tell me, "Do you know how many people are looking for this job?" A lot of them. So you are lucky. So what I want, I want sexual. So how, how did you deal with that? You know, I got frustrated every now and then. Because I'll tell him, have I not worked, done my work well? You have. So, so what did you do about it? I refused. And I, I quit that job. I will quit the job. Because when I went to do a plant operator, I swore never to do what I used to do again. Mm-hmm. So I'll quit. I went back home without my salary. And then next time, I'll go and look for another job. The same thing kept on happening. And I said, no. A lot of men are going through this in their workplaces, not only here in Nairobi, not only in Kenya, but globally. I need to be the voice of the missing voices. So the sexual harassment drove you out of different jobs? It drove me out of different jobs. And what was your conclusion then? What would you do? My, cl- my conclusion was inequality towards women. It's something that has been normalized. Mm-hmm. Because uh, you cannot... You're using that word inequality. How come? Because it is not equal. The, ground, the level fields are not equal. Mm. Because you can't tell me that supervisor was molesting those men. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Uh, why is it that a woman having all the credentials and experiences when going to a job, she needs to add something extra? That is inequality to me. It is not equal. There are no equal opportunities for women outside there. No. And people really don't know this big term called inequality, but everybody is going through inequality in their own way. But they don't know it is an equality. They think it's uh, it is the normalization of poverty. Tell me now, you're obviously very aware of how the government is using public resources, you all pay taxes, to favor richer people than poorer people. You call it inequality. How aware are people in the Andorra about this as a, a problem? We have awoken because of the kind of the social justice centers that are being formed. Centers? We have centers. What are those? Tell me about that. The social justice centers are established in slum areas to fight inequalities. Really? Because every slum has its own inequality. There are people who are fighting land uh, evictions. There are people who are fighting extrajudicial execution. Mm-hmm. There are people who are fighting health. Mm-hmm. 
So we have a total of 23 justice centers Where? distributed in Nairobi. We have to speak out. We don't have to like keep quiet and everything is happening wrongly. Criminalization of poverty have to stop. So you are able to speak out against this injustice of inequality because you have organized as a group. Is yes, that right? Yes. Tell me about how you've organized and what your role is there. Okay, we have come uh, we realized that we have different human rights defenders who are doing their works individually. And we saw the need of coming together because coming together is strength itself. And we formed a Dandora Community Justice Center. Mm-hmm. And now when you look at this angle of uh, human rights defenders who are organizing mm-hmm. because our motto is edu- organize educate and liberate. Fantastic. We organize, we educate the community and they liberate themselves. I love that. Say that again. Organize. Organize, mm-hmm. educate, mm-hmm. and liberate. You know, we have a movement I grew up in as a, a, girl, a girl. Yes. Which we call the Pan-African Movement. Yes. And we had a slogan that, um, that we used and I still use in my life. But the slogan was, Organize, don't agonize. Yes. So we always say that. Organize, don't, don't agonize. agonize. Move away from being a complainer and become taking that organizer. by organizing. So, so congratulations Asante on that. Sana. Out of organizing mm. and educating and liberating, mm-hmm. you need, there is that angle of self mm-hmm. liberating. Mm-hmm. You cannot say you are liberated and you are fighting for injustices when you are supporting the same people. You are voting for them. You are not. You are not going back uh-huh. to the people and telling them the, the the importance of voting for the right people. Tell me about that. So it also is about your political voice. It is. It is very. But much. when it becomes political, it's dangerous, isn't it? But everything is political. Your food is political. Your house rent is political. Water is political. It's all about policy. If you are human rights defender, stop agonizing. Start being in the table where decisions are being made so that you can influence those decisions. What does it mean for you as a mother and for your children? How do they see you? How do your kids see you? <laughs> That's a, <laughs> that is the biggest challenge that I have. They see me as a hero. Sometimes they even think that I don't make mistakes. Mm. Imagine my son brings me his his peers who are being abused in, at their homes. And, mom, do something. <laughs> <laughs> it is getting into them. That but, you solve problems. Yes. Uh, probably my main focus right now mm. is the kids and the women. Because we have been sidelined. We need to do something from our spaces, mm-hmm. not holding the government accountable up there. And where you are, you are doing nothing about it. Tell me more about <laughs> So, uh, we have pro- uh, children's protection mechanism mm-hmm. where we protect kids from abuses. Mm-hmm. And uh, out of that, I came up with a space, safe space for these kids mm-hmm. where when they close school, they come for 
mentorship programs mm. they can access books it's called it's called the millionaires book club fantastic and why we call it the millionaires what gives you hope that this work you're doing is going to cause the change you want when these people come for help and you you empower them mm-hmm. and you tell them you can it's not a must i be there so that you can be helped or you can speak out your issues if they try and see it is workable and they come reporting smiling mm-hmm. that is what keeps me going mm-hmm. yes so meanwhile you continue challenging political capture that is a must the the capture of public resources and uh, allocating them unfairly you it is say, there you, are, you you continue to challenge that i yeah. congratulate you thank you and um, I wish you success. There are no shortcuts. I agree with you. Thank you. It's about people organizing and pushing back against uh, injustice. It's true. Well done. <laughs> Thank Sana. you for your story. Thank you. Karibu. Sorry, what did you make of that? It was sobering listening to Beth, learning so much from her. What an amazingly, incredibly powerful woman that we can learn so much from. Also found it really inspiring. I also it also brought back to me, you know, memories from my childhood, things I've learned growing up from especially from my mum, how she's had to stand up to fight old age sexist ideas from tradition, from culture which really oppress women. And those ideas you find them in society, but you also find them really deep rooted within the economy and that's something I took home from Beth. Definitely the the kind of inseparability of these inequalities was really strong and the way that our economy and the gap between rich and poor kind of feeds off these attitudes these sexist attitudes to women that was really really strong in the story i thought and it's easy sometimes to intellectualize this isn't it to say right that's you know that's that's how we tackle economic inequality and that's how we tackle women you know fight for women's rights but there was something a lot more seamless about the way an activist like beth speaks about this you just see that from the perspective of someone like beth you can't separate these things out can you and it's crazy to think that you can i also found amazing the way max actually spoke about power how the personal is the political how the power is within us i found i mean it really stood up for me that that moment that you mentioned that in the interview yeah no i agree the 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 starting with the self and starting with with the way you you interact with your family the way you 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 know talk about boys and girls in the house and bringing that all the way through to the kind of politics of society and activism again it was really really impressive. what could a million best do for the world I just think we need a million more Beths and we'd be in a much better place. Yeah. Beth, I'm sure you're listening, so thank you very much for joining us for that and we look forward to seeing you again in in Dandora in Nairobi. Folks, that, that brings us to a close for this episode. For our next one, we're really looking forward to sharing our interview between Winnie and and the president of Namibia. Now, Namibia is a really interesting country. It's got a history of colonization and you know being subcolonized again. Um, and the president of Namibia is somebody who was on the fore of that liberation struggle for their country, and it's also a country that's really fought inequality over the last twenty five years. Uh, so there's so much to learn from him. And I should also add that we really, really want to hear from you. We need feedback. It'd be great if you could get in touch. So just to remind everyone again that you can email us at equals at oxfam.org. That's equals at oxfam.org. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.